0: All right, all right, all right, all right. Going to get this going. Yes, indeed. You probably can already hear me, but I have to wait just to be sure. Hope everyone's doing well. Happy you had a good night. Enjoyed all the festivities. We're about to get this going here in just a second. All right. I think we're live. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is my UFC 241 post fight special here's what i need you to do i need you to give it a thumbs up i need you to subscribe to the channel and if you don't want spoilers this is going to be your chance to get away from them because we're going to have ufc results incoming analysis what they mean the whole nine so for everyone who wants to see it buckle in for everybody else time to bounce let's do this All right, UFC 241 is in the books. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of Morning Combat on uh, Showtime's Below the Belt page, as well as the Luke Thomas Show on SiriusXM, Fight Nation Channel 156. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Please like the video. Excuse me. Subscribe to the channel. You guys know if you get to 100K uh, subscribers, we're going to relaunch the live chat podcast here on my YouTube channel. Um, Things to be aware of besides those two considerations. Again, spoilers is a big one. Uh, this video, as always, brought to you by the Beta Academy in Washington, D.C. It's at the corner of 14th of Florida, Northwest. If you want to train, that is your place to go here in the area. And uh, if you need any contact information for me, it is in the description box below. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Woo! What an eventful, um, big, kind of crazy UFC event. That was a lot. There was a lot happening there. Uh, Okay. UFC 241 is in the books. What can we say about it? It took place at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. By the way, it set a record for UFC shows out in California. Who's texting me? Uh, Okay. Wow. All right. Bunch of people texting me. Let's do this. The big three fights are the ones we're going to spend the most amount of our attention on. We'll go about an hour. Um, if you want to get a question in, you can donate in the super chat. When we bring back the excuse me, when we bring back the live chat, th- all the questions will be free. But for these post fight ones, this is how I generate revenue for uh, equipment. So um, please consider doing that, and those who do will get their questions answered at the end of the chat. Now, here come your spoilers. Uh, Steve Miocic, uh, Jesus, Steve Miocic defeats Daniel Cormier. At 4.09 of the fourth round. I had it either 2-1 DC or 3.0 DC heading into the fourth. But there was just bad or weird signs if you're a DC fan. So there was a good signs too. Like in the preview that I had done for my radio show, I had said if you see DC getting the left-handed collar tie... Or if you And or if you see him grabbing the hands, right, out in front in boxing range. Because he'll grab the hands and he'll come over the top with an elbow, or he'll put them down and throw a punch, or he'll move them out of the way and then get inside. So if you see him grabbing or they get, get the left-handed collar tie, you knew that was like classic DC weapons. And um, the bad news for him was he got them, and, he, and it wasn't even like he was making bad use of them. I just don't think they were having the same kind of effect that they had at light heavyweight, even with the increased amount of power that he has at heavyweight. Miochich was wearing it. He, he was wearing it, man. His face was messed up. You heard him talking afterwards saying he just wanted to get the guy out of there. Um, he was rocking him. like there, there There was a lot there. There was a lot there, but... Miochich kind of hung on, and I was thinking to myself, and again, if you listen to my radio show, we went over this in, in, in pretty great detail. What were some of the things that we thought that, that Miochich could have done differently in the rematch? One, we thought he would have gone to the jab. Didn't see much of that. Two, we would have thought he would have gone to the leg kick. Saw some of that, but not a whole lot. Three, the other one was, what was one of the other times that Cormier has been rocked in a fight outside of the John Jones bouts? And the answer is when he got hit in the liver, I think it was with a push kick by Anderson Silva at UFC 200. Remember, it was supposed to be DC versus Jones on that card. Jones has his anti doping issues. And then, like 48 hours' notice, they bring in Anderson Silva. And he got walloped for the most part. But he had DC like doubled over with that shot right to the liver. So it wasn't merely that Miocic thought that the liver shot was like wide open. It, although it was DC was doing nothing to stop it or give DC, or give Stipe any reason to to, to, to not keep throwing it, um, there's precedent for it. There's precedent. Again, one was a kick, one was a punch, but like you know, there are certain fighters uh, who are you know, look, they're they're tremendous talents. Daniel Cormier appears to be one now, but uh, Don Cerrone, uh, Matt Brown who appear to be... Look, everyone is susceptible to a liver shot. There there might be some evidence to indicate that they might be more susceptible to it. So people just go back to him, go back to him. Because again, it's not like if you kick him in the body, it wasn't like that really slowed him down. It was the liver side um, that just left hook to the body outside of the sternum, right to the end. And uh, he just went back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. And there was no defense of it. So each one by itself, I don't know that there was the biggest impact but then it set up everything else behind it um in the end terrible loss for Daniel Cormier first time he loses at heavyweight now it took him to be 40 years old before he did um yeah I mean it was weird right because some of the things I thought Stipe would do like the jab and the leg kick he didn't do it all then he went to the body with the liver shot and that was really good but he didn't really get to it till the fourth round like it wasn't like he was throwing this for the first three rounds He waited until the fourth, and then when it worked, he just said, fuck it, just going to keep hammering, and went for it. And hey, (laughs) good for him. I mean, he earned it, man. He earned it. Uh, Look, I had my doubts about his ability to win this fight, even with an advanced Cormier at 40 years old. I I had my doubts. I was like, well, you know, we'll see. I just don't think he's going to out-wrestle him, and, uh, you know, Miocic is not going to have, I thought, the speed differential would be there. And all those things were, but then he just kind of stuck around. Perseverant resilient uh, certainly proved my skepticism wrong probably the skepticism of a lot of other people wrong as well puts him in an important conversation for um, greatest UFC heavyweight champions of all time right and man you want to talk about massive stakes with what happened with Cormier here so now you have to ask yourself okay let's think about this is there even any appetite for a third fight with Jones heavyweight or not because of the loss then on top of it you're like well wasn't there supposed to be like a renewed and better version of Cormier at heavyweight and I suppose in some ways there was or there were but he didn't drop Stipe he uh he hurt him I mean he was in his face I mean he was absolutely in his face but it wasn't enough and you're like well okay I'm not saying it was flukish the first time but if you can't repeat it after another twenty or so minutes, um, you know, there's a question about like what that means for what you could do to other fighters in that weight class. And, you know, John Jones, you can say whatever you want about him, but he's got a pretty good chin. Like, he's taken some hard shots before and never really paid too much of a price for it. So, okay, you're like, so there's two reasons why that wouldn't happen. Then you're like, Okay, well maybe you do a trilogy fight with Cormier. Does Cormier even want to do that? Does he just outright retire and say, Fuck it, I'm forty and there's no point. Father Time comes for us all. There was a, a, a Miocic at 36. Um, not a spring chicken, but a little bit, little bit uh, more spry, I suppose, in terms of mileage than Cormier. Cormier had a great speed advantage, I thought, in this fight. Um, it, you know, it, I think the problem for Cormier was he was just expecting the fact that he walked into a guy, was able for the most part to get his left-handed collar ties. I, and I need to watch exactly what happened with him to see how Cormier was um, minimized by them. Because you'll recall, how did the knockout happen in the first time? Left-handed collar tie, wrestling with the right hand. If you're DC, he pummels underneath for an underhook on the left side. Right hand comes up. And that was how he dropped him and then finished him off. Um, I have to go back and look, but it, the problem for DC was it wasn't like... The things he normally does were stopped. He just did them. And while somewhat effective, just not enough in the end. Now, you heard his coaches pleading in between rounds. Being like, dude, stop standing in front of this guy. the fuck are you doing? Okay. Um, There appeared to be... I think in that second round, he just showed like no respect for Miocic's power. And you were like, okay... I mean, if he's not rocking you with it, and he had told me after the first fight, like you know, Rumble Johnson had hit harder than Stipe, or, yeah, and so you know, he, I, not that he didn't have any respect for, it, but he was like showing that you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna march through it, and it worked for a little while, like it worked for. Again, you could have that fight three zero heading into the fourth, and then all that stuff happens with the body shot, and that's the other part too. It's like you know, how much did age get to him? Um, did we overstate the benefit of going to heavyweight? And then also the question is, with Silva hitting him at UFC 200, liver, and now Miocic, liver, how much is this, how much could John Jones go to that? How much could Stipe go back to that? Like, is now the cat out of the bag a little bit on this one? Because it's not like you can just be like, oh, I'm going to wrestle Stipe. I mean, you might get the takedown, you might get to hold him, you might get a couple of takedowns, but basically that's not a way you can rely upon to go and compete it's not a thing you can say oh I'm just going to wrestle this guy as a method to victory so man you want to talk about a majorly majorly consequential win for both gentlemen's career Um, and then you have to ask yourself about Stipe where does he rank among all time UFC heavyweight champions pretty close to the top if not the top probably the top man three consecutive title defenses, and then you lose, okay, badly, but then you come back and, you, and then you stop the guy who stopped you. Impressive, man. It's impressive. It's super impressive. And to do it at 36 in the way that he did, and then to do it arguably having lost the first three rounds of the rematch, like, if that's – I don't – you know, in terms of the eye test, and this is subjective – but in terms of the eye test, Fedor to me is still the best heavyweight I've seen. Maybe with a nod towards the little brief window where Cain Velasquez was the very best. But in terms of just what you rack up as an accolade, in some ways the measurement is not fair because Cormier spent a big chunk of his career not even competing in heavyweight. So he lost all those years not doing that. So it's hard to say what he would have been had he done that. But in terms of what they did while they were there, Cormier did a lot. But that win by Miocic, man, that is, that is, that's, I said this on the uh, Java Boys podcast I did with Brendan Schaub. That is the most validating win of his career. I said on, well, we recorded that show on Wednesday or so. I had said, if he beats Cormier in this fight on this stage, that is by far the most validating win. I don't know how you could say otherwise. Beating J- JDS was nice. Beating Overeem was nice. Beating Francis was nice. Beating Verdun was nice. They're not like this one. And you could say, oh, well, Cormier's faded a little bit at 40. Okay, but Cormier was up in his grill in a way that the, none of those other guys were. You know, did you get Cormier at 30 and peak athleticism? Okay, maybe not. But, he, he, you know, he was coming off of uh, the win over Stipe and then the win over Derek Lewis. Like, it wasn't like some faded legend Um, you know, not in his peak, but still a formidable challenge. And I, I, you know, I I, you got to rank Stipe top of that list, I suppose, man. I suppose you're gonna have to do it. He did it in a way that was kind of quiet at first, and I think unassuming, and took a while for people to like fully appreciate. And then was undercut to a degree, reasonably so. When you you know, if you lose in the first round, they're gonna undercut what you're doing. But uh, and then to come back out, wait for the rematch. Got a little bit lucky with it since. Lesnar didn't stick around, and then to win, pretty goddamn impressive, man, pretty goddamn impressive, those body shots, it's weird, right, like, I can tell you, as somebody who watches tape for a living, to varying degrees of success, although I will say my Diaz versus uh, Pettis preview, I mean, I think I nailed it, but um, this one I did not, this one I did not, Although I did do a full-on preview for it, but... um, there are certain guys where you're watching tape and you say, every time I see them do this, they win. Right When they get to their bread and butter, they win. You saw a little bit of this with Ian Heinish. Ian Heinish, I think, in, we'll talk about this later, against Derek Brunson, he, I think he had a game plan. And then when the game plan got like whatever, how effect, however effective it was, moderately so, but part of it didn't work, he had no other gear to go to. You know, DC is probably so used. To, if I can get to the left-handed collar tie, if I can grab the hands, and I can land punches, and and dude, he landed punches. The rest just takes care of itself. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, but what if it doesn't? Oh, you'll just, you'll just maintain the lead. Okay, it's fine to maintain the lead. But then you have to be more defensively minded. I think to me now that I'm thinking about it in real time, the issue was he probably could have done well enough if he had been more defensively sound, uh, but he was just a little bit too risky there and just allowed himself to be hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and and then not having an answer for the body shot. um, Crushed him. It crushed him in the end. Wow. What a win by Steve Amiocic, man. Let me uh, pull pull this up a list of... Sorry, I can't see because I got a thousand thing going on here with my thing. Uh, Okay, here's your list of all your ever heavyweight champions. Yes? These are every heavyweight champion ever in the UFC, not including Pride, obviously. All right. Here we go. Mark Coleman, defenses, zero. Maurice Smith, defenses, one. Randy Couture, initial run, defenses, zero. Uh, Boz Rutten, defenses, zero. Kevin Randleman, defenses, one. Then Couture won it again and had two defenses. Josh Barnett, first time around, zero defenses. Rico Rodriguez, zero defenses. Tim Sylvia, first time around, one. Frank Mir, first time around, zero. Arlovsky, two. Tim Sylvia won it again, two defenses. Then Couture again, two defenses. Uh, Brock Lesnar, two defenses. Kane Velasquez, two defenses. JDS, one. Kane another two. Uh, apparently, for Doom zero, Miocic, and then three, and then now four. So three having consecutive. So it appears that you can have four split two different ways um, in any event. Still, those are your all your heavyweight champions. Pretty clear that Stipe is head and shoulders above the rest. Cormier would have been, I think, your GOAT if he had won tonight for heavyweight UFC champions. Because it would have given him two defenses, which still would have been less than Stipe, but then he would have been the guy that beat Stipe twice if he had won tonight, but then losing to him. Now, maybe he can get that back if they fight a third time, so we might want to slow the roll. Again, we had this debate around Featherweight. Like, who's the GOAT? You know, maybe Aldo, probably Aldo, but with Max doing what he's doing and still looking pretty good, you just got to wait and see what happens there. And anyway. You, you might get a situation like that with Cormier and Miocic where you just wait to see what happens if there, a third fight does. Because if it does, and then Cormier wins again, then it gets a little dicier. But I'm telling you, man, that win with Miocic today, far and away, no questions asked, easy call, his best win by a million miles, his most consequential win by a million miles, uh, uh, and probably the kind of win that if he wasn't the leading contender for best UFC heavyweight champion of all time, this, I think, I don't, I, I don't know how you could look at this and say someone else did better. I don't know how you could do that. He's your guy. So, pretty, pretty remarkable uh, and pretty epic job by him. Okay, so let's go to the co-main event, shall we? Now, this one, I feel like I got right. This one, I feel like, um, again, uh, look, you go over fights and you say, what does this guy do when they win? What are the conditions that are in place? And it can be hard, man, because you can get somebody who uh, this particular tactic worked, but it was for a very specific reason related to that opponent, and it kind of worked with somebody else, but you didn't really know. But this was my central uh, belief about Diaz versus Pettis. Let me read you the result here if you're just joining me. Nate Diaz defeats Anthony Pettis 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. Yeah, one judge gave one round. Anthony Pettis that exceeded even my expectations. I thought Pettis would would win early and then fade over the stretch. Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff that I feel very very vindicated about as it relates to this fight. Number one, Anthony Pettis is very talented and he is not a guy to trifle with or not take seriously. But he's been doing this for about 12 years or so. He has taken a metric ton of abuse, not merely from in-fight abuse, but then just the 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 uh, rigors of training or the fighting itself, like separating his ribs against Poirier, and he fades. And if you watch in fights, he fades. He just It's not like he just goes away and he doesn't become, you know, like someone you cannot take seriously, but he just doesn't have the same vigor visibly, quickly over time. And so I thought to myself, well, if it was a five-round fight, I thought Diaz would win, no problem. But a three, still lacked my chances. I thought Diaz would win. Um, and it played out exactly like that. He went to the leg kicks a little bit early, but not a whole lot. So number one, I told you guys, he was susceptible to leg kicks more than normal. But the idea that you can just tee off on him with leg kicks is simply not true. That proved to be true. Number one, two phases that Diaz likes to box in. One is at range, and one is he loves to fight inside the clinch. That also proved itself true tonight. Number three, I thought that, again, Pettis fades over time. So you can add that as three. Four, the other part is... Pettis, uh, as a result of getting older, has always been a little bit of a counter-fighter, counter-striker, and I will say, I thought I thought that Pettis's boxing uh, and counter-punching gave Diaz some legitimate problems, no doubt about it. I, I thought that was the best part of his game, to be honest with you. The leg kicks weren't all that involved, and we'll talk about why in just a second, but they weren't. The crisp boxing was. But this was the other thing that I thought was really relevant, which was... In waiting, 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 throw a big shot because he has a big shot potential. You saw it against Thompson. You saw it against LaZan. You saw it against you name it. You've seen it a thousand times he's got a big shot potential. He waits a lot. And when he waits a lot, he gets backed up a lot. I was like, I think they're going to be able to back him up against the fence. And then you go and look and you say, well, look, Tony Ferguson's a very different fighter than Nate Diaz. But Tony Ferguson backed him up. And then when he got him backed up with a 76-inch reach, the same as Nate Diaz, he just boxed him up at that range, and what, what did Pettis do? Well, when Nate Diaz did it, Josh Thompson initiated the clinch to slow him down and then separate on his own terms. When Pettis got boxed up by Ferguson, he tried to punch his way out. Well, when he, got, when he tried to punch his way out, when he's reacting and he's slow and he's getting hit, it's not very effective. And I thought to myself, huh, remember the mechanics of how this fight got made. UFC didn't make this fight. Pettis' people, excuse me, Diaz's people approached Pettis' people and said, why don't we do this? And they said, good idea. Both camps went to the UFC and then UFC signed off on it. But they didn't make it. The two teams made it independent of the UFC. My belief was, and I wrote it about the time, and I put my name on the, on the, on the video, and I said it on Twitter. My belief at the time was, I, don't, I, I haven't talked to the Diaz camp about this, but I think that they watched what Ferguson did and they said, well, Ferguson's different. But we like what we saw in that one. I think, and I think that is true. I don't know how you can say otherwise at this point. That Their assessment of what Nate could do to Anthony at this point was right on the money. M- more so than even I thought it would be. Dude, Nate Diaz minimized the leg kicks. Did you guys see how he did it? He used the Josh Thompson plan sort of against Pettis. Which is that it was a little bit of lateral movement, but it was more stance switching. Nate Diaz doesn't really stance switch. And you'll notice when he was boxing, he didn't really stance switch a whole lot. He got back in his normal stance. Um, But when he was on the outside trying to avoid leg kicks, you saw him switching constantly. So that, you know, Pettis couldn't quite find the mark. And he found it a couple of times, but not like, did it play some huge role in this fight? No. Like, it wasn't that big a deal. To me, again, the best weapon that Pettis had against him was his counterboxing. I thought that was very good from Pettis. He was giving Nate super hard, hardcore problems because they were decisive, quick, powerful, accurate. Right? They were good. They were really good. But, dude, it's just the same thing, man. This is the same thing with Cormier. It's why I thought, I thought Cormier would win. These guys who have this style where their whole style is predicated on just crashing into you, not not literally, but the, I, think, I mean, think about the waves, man. The waves just crash into the rock over and over. These guys who have styles predicated on that, and they're elite, because you see guys with those styles at, like, lower levels, but the guys who do that at an elite level, dude, they're, they're maybe the hardest fighters to deal with, in, in, independent of any other style. Like, that might be the most difficult thing. As you can see, in the main event case, it doesn't make them uh, impervious, to punishment, quite quite the opposite. In fact, they take a lot of it. But it is a highly effective style in the right hands. And Diaz and his team, credit to him, they read that one perfectly. Perfectly. I thought Nate had a phenomenal game plan. Now, I need to go back and look at some of the nitty-gritty details about how he was able to corral and then get back into space. Dude, he dropped Pettis, took his back a couple times. Dude, Nate Diaz not only stance-switched, He hit a crackdown, which is sort of like a head outside single. It's a little bit different. Um, You can look it up, but like you know, fairly like difficult takedown to hit in terms of wrestling, relative to let's say a double leg. I was like, holy shit! Nate Diaz is out here hitting crackdowns, stance switching, uh, taking the back, moving to mount. Like he looks awesome. He did look a little bit rusty in terms of his energy management, or maybe. Certain things they could have cleaned up in the boxing in terms of his entries, but okay, never know game plan is ever perfect. and uh, all right, he didn't get you know he doesn't get a perfect grade for the performance, but dude, you have to be impressed with Nate Diaz and 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 you like who was the biggest star in the room tonight, man? Who was the biggest star in the room tonight? I've said this before. if you are watching this video, listen to me now, listen to me very, very carefully. Because what I'm about to tell you is there are some things in this world we can debate about. But what I'm about to tell you right now is so incontestably true. I cover fights for a living. I don't know what you do. Maybe you do something else. Maybe you deliver the mail. Maybe you're an attorney. Maybe you're, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Uh, All the jobs are noble and all of it is important work. Here's what you need to understand. It does not matter who you are, or what your line of work in, the place where you work, the corporate entity, even if it's a good situation, and by the way, it might be a bad one, but even if it's a good one, they may not understand your value. And even if they give you like decent work to do, they may not understand what you could really contribute. Corporations, no matter what they are, They're run by people, of course, but they have their own kind of ethos or values or what they respect or what they look for in employees in certain roles under certain projects. You might have a metric ton of ability, and their ability to recognize that might be pretty nil. What does this have to do with Nate Diaz? Well, the answer is, man, if you have ever been in a job and you're like, I'm better than this, and they don't seem to understand this, I can do more and they don't seem to understand this, you're not crazy. Well, you might be crazy, <laughs> but there's a decent chance you're not crazy. The place you're in, dude, ta- people suck at talent identification. They're not good at it. I've said this before, you look at the the, the in American football with the NFL Combine, you have a billion-dollar organization spending tens of millions of dollars to find the next – talent and, and on defensive and offensive sides of the ball, and more often than not, they kind of get it wrong, right? They're not very good at it, and they do all kinds of tests and all kinds of footage they have to make decisions about it, and they still routinely fuck it up. Dude, the place you're in and you work, if you've ever felt like you weren't valued and they could treat you different and you're better than that, you're probably right, man. Nate Diaz has the kind of brand... That just doesn't work with, typically anyway, the UFC's corporate ethos and their corporate values. Um, It's not like so far outside of it that there's no way to make it work, but it is a bit of a strain in terms of how they normally do things. When he was out there saying, I could be promoted different, I could be in fights to be a bigger star, there's more here. Who was right? Who was right? And you could say whatever you want about the Conor fight. Yeah, absolutely. That played an integral role in the way in which he was able to to burst to stardom. But when you say things like he's not a needle mover, you're saying that as a way that, that like that's that's existentially true. Like there's really not much you could do to fix that. A little bit here, a little bit there. But it just is what it is. And people who say, no, 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 I have value that you don't see. Let this be a lesson to all of you. The place where you work may very well, and I'm not telling you to go put in your two weeks, but I'm just saying the place where you work may not understand your value even a little bit because they're guiding under a certain operation, they're guiding under a certain ethos, a certain expectation, and their talent identification probably sucks. It probably sucks. So always remember the Nate Diaz case. People who believe that they're more than what the place where they work says they are. They're not crazy. They're actually right. They just need a chance. And do you think about that Connor fight, Well, or the two of them anyway, what would have happened to Nate if that had never happened? Right? Oh, well then I guess UFC wins the debate. But you're, you're seeing now, under the right circumstances, this is absolutely somebody that people will gravitate towards. That's not true for everybody. Not everybody can be somebody that's a hero to people, right? Oh, what well, was the Connor fight that did it? Okay, the Connor fight was a major, unbelievable catalyst. But then you got to be somebody that people want to know. You got to be somebody that people want to care about and identify with and gravitate towards. And not everybody has that. Nate Diaz has that. This is the this is the chief lesson that if you've ever felt undervalued at your workplace or misunderstood or that they're so much more capable, you are right. In all likelihood, there's a decent chance you're right. They're not good at this, these, these places where we work for the most part. They're not that great at it. So find a way to get out of that morass if at all possible. Because if you don't, then it's just going to be one of the scenarios where the bosses expect the, their, uh, uh, the bigotry of their low expectations... We'll end up defining your existence. And Nate would have just been a footnote. Right? Would have just been oh, the lesser of two Diaz brothers. That's what he would have been. Look at him now. Look at him now. Pretty amazing. Self-belief is real, man. Self-belief is important. Understanding your worth and understanding your value is important. And when people come to me, it's like, well, well they, don't, they don't move the needle. Well, right. But if you're in a place that doesn't really know what to do with you, of course you're not going to move the needle. Now, what did he want next? Um, <laughs> he wants Jorge Masvidal. Buddy, can we... First of all, let's just talk about how great that, that fight is. I mean, you want to talk about just awesome. Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal. People are like, oh, would Jorge accommodate him in the stand-up department? When was the last time you knew Jorge being out there like being like, you know what, I'm going to really take this fucker down. I'm just going to grind him out. Like, he can do that in a fight if he needs to, but for the most part, even to his own detriment, his record has been that he stands with people. Like, he's so well-rounded, he can do everything else, but yeah, uh, absolutely. He is no doubt about it going to do that, because he understands exactly how to, like, finally move through this world. You got Diaz coming off the Askren thing. You got Nate as popular as he's ever been. And they're gonna meet in the middle, probably at 170 pounds, so like both guys can make the weight, no problem. <sighs> come on, y'all, come on. This is easy money. You saw, him, and you saw Jorge Masvidal when they showed him in the audience next to his manager and uh, our agent uh, Abraham Kawa, cheesing. smiling ear to ear. He's like Bout to get <laughs> about to get paid, about to get paid loving every bit of it, and good for him, he should, both those guys should, both those guys deserve to get paid, is what they deserve to get, Um, phenomenal, phenomenal moment for him, Uh, a little bit of a challenge to the ring, Dom Cruz doesn't believe in ring rust, it's like, well, look, the rule on ring rust, as far as I'm concerned, is it doesn't affect every fighter in every fight, every time, it just affects most fighters most of the time, kind of a thing. Um, but, and I thought, again, there were some things Diaz, as you could see, like, uh, he got a little more tired than I thought he might. Maybe that's a bit of an age thing at 34, but otherwise, a really, really, really strong performance, well scouted, minimized the things he was bad at, or at least most susceptible to, and really maximized his strengths, and by the end... Just, just, just war on him. And by the way, the good news for Pettis is he could still always go back to 155. He can stick around 170 some more, see what happens there. Um, he's still got a lease on life. But now Nate Diaz coming back, beating the Wheaties box guy. Pretty important, man. Pretty important. Uh, all right, Paula, we'll come back to it, of course, as well. And if you're if you're watching, let me just make sure everything's looking good here. Yeah, subscribe to the video. You know, like it. Or subscribe to the channel, like the video. Let me get it. Let me get a drink. Was that not thrilling? By the way, good night as well. UFC 241. Like, good card. Really good card. I really enjoyed it actually. So um good stuff. All right. Let's go back here. Paulo Costa taking on Yoel Romero. Boy. See you soon, boy. 2928 across the board for Costa. That's how I had it. I know a bunch of you had it for Romero. Wouldn't argue too much with it. Hinges on that second round, it seems, right? Costa won the first. Romero won the third. Romero was just like the king of the third round, too. Amazing. And then goes out there in that second round, and it was and it was dicey. Um, what are the angles here? Let's start with the winner. Paulo Costa. So it looks like he's for sure going to get the winner of Adesanya and Whitaker. And all, either of those permutations work. Whitaker versus Bojasinha is good. And then Adesanya has had numerous amounts of words for uh, Bohashina. So that would be even better, if you ask me. That would be a phenomenal fight. Um, I mean, both would be phenomenal fights, but like the, the ugliness of it would make it uh, sellable to a much larger degree, I suspect. And um, so there's that. Okay. On top of that, what do you want to say about him? I would argue that that was a really important performance in his career because he went the full distance... Against an absolute mutant in the way that Romero is and hung in there, got dropped a little bit and still put it on the older guy. He did fade a little bit down the stretch, but he, I think, had much better cardio than some of his critics might have assumed he might have. I don't want to speak for them, I'd I'd have to hear exactly what they had to say, but it looked to me like, people like, oh, he'll probably fade fast, all those muscles, all that explosive energy. Well, he did fade a little bit, but not like fatally, not fatally, you know? He faded like in sort of an expected declining, uh, sort of averagely declining kind of way. And then all the time before that, you know, his boxing is good, um... He was getting chewed up by the jab. I mean, that's something that people are going to be able to exploit a little bit. Similar to the way Steve a was getting chewed up by that jab. The Kind of these come forward types that get chewed up by You know, Diaz gets chewed up by it a little bit as well when he's not throwing it. So there's that. Um, again, the cardio was, I think, much better than expected. Still could be worked on. We'll see, we'll see what would happen in the fourth and fifth round. But his heart, both those guys, you know, they were sticking their tongues out at each other so much, I thought they were each giving the other a haka dance. You know, it was crazy. So can take a shot resilient mentally. Like he never quit in that fight. He might've gotten physically tired, but he didn't mentally quit. And you know, all these donks who want to be like, Oh, this guy's using flagrantly in front of USADA. All right. I mean, <laughs> like either USADA works or it doesn't. I'm happy to have him in this condition. I don't really give a shit. Uh, he looked at me pretty goddamn amazing. And then on the other side with Yoel Romero, number one, you could argue he won. Number two, that was a yeah. The bigger story here is okay, Costa won the fight technically, but the bigger story is Romero's growth as a fighter. So I don't know if it was because I don't I don't know if it was because um, Costa was pulling it out of him, but Romero is typically a two way fighter, but one way at a time. So he's like dodging, dodging, slipping, blocking, parrying, slipping, slipping, moving out of the way, parrying at the same time, and then explodes. You saw a little bit of that, but what you also saw was he was much more two-way at the same time. Slip, counter. Uh, push, kick, jab. Jab, 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 cross. Right? Whereas before, it was a much more, like in the Luke Rockhold fight, much more reserved. Much more so there was like a lot of growth there and we knew he was king of the third round but you know just to have like the cardiovascular resiliency that he did and that they're around at age 42 Romero is 42 so i don't know if he's the actual best athlete right now in the ufc in terms of like what they could athletically accomplish but in terms of like who's genetically the best athlete to ever compete in the ufc the answer is pretty clearly Yoel Romero, and I don't know even know who would be a close second. The dude moves like a cat, and he's in his 40s. How is that even possible? How is that even—I don't, I don't, I don't understand how he does it. And it, like, he would go to his base, Bohashini would try to get on top from Turtle, and he would pull out, and then he could react. Like, he can go directionally— You know, far distances and then change speeds, no problem. He can back out and then drive forward, no problem. Like, and in in ways fluidly that other guys, even good, like Boachinha, does he look like some scrub ass athlete to you? Doesn't look that way to me. And even he couldn't handle some of the natural athleticism. Like, Boachinha was more bricked up, but the better athlete there was Romero. So, if you're a Romero fan, Kind of heartening. He made championship weight, not with the one-pound allowance, 184.5 on weigh-in day on Friday. Then comes in here, arguably wins, and even if you want to say he didn't win, showed maturation in his game against somebody who could be the next champion in that weight class. By the way, who wouldn't want to see a rematch under the right conditions? That was a hell of a performance from Yoel Romero. Very, 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 very strong. And the kind he should be absolutely thrilled with in the end well thrilled is a strong word i mean he lost but just the performance itself like evaluating what was the goal were you able to execute what are the contexts geez man that that's right up there that's very very good very good so um so i guess it's going to be costa down there in melbourne for ufc 243 it'll be interesting to see i can't wait to see some of the stats i want to go back and look at some of the things he was throwing But I also have to give Costa credit, man, like he never, he got tired, but you never, this is the point I wanted to make about the the, the mentality of it all, you saw him never mentally take his foot off the gas, right? Again, he got physically worn down, okay, but like he was out there kind of still marching into him and throwing body kicks and like hard punches and staying in it and. You know, just trying to be all be on Romero's face. And, like, dude, both of those guys are going to have just murdered faces tomorrow. Um, that lived up to its expectations and then some. That was brilliant matchmaking. Brilliant matchmaking. I really love that. Like, Miocic versus Cormier took care of itself. The Diaz and the Pettis teams, well, they built that one. But, okay, let's give the UFC some credit. They put Costa and Romero together, and thank God they did. What a fight. What a fight. And middleweight, man, middleweight is, it's like World War One. It is trench warfare. What do I mean by that? Where, like, these guys would set up positions, and they'd be slow incrementation forward, right? And they'd be holding, and it would be these long, drawn-out battles, and it would be, you know, tons of um, accrued damage over time. And it was really a hard way to fight. Man, you got to stake your claim at middleweight, and it's like a hard slog to go forward uh, and to make any kind of distance. It's just absolute trench warfare at middleweight right now at the top. And I like how young it is. You've got Costa at what, 25? How old is Costa? How old is that bricked up dude? 28. Okay, a little bit older. Then you got Izzy, who's 30. And then you got Whitaker, who I think, is also like 28, 29. Uh, you got a bunch of guys there, young, hungry, Uh, in the words of Jamie Josta, hard, like tough dudes, you know, and they're out there fighting their heart out. You got your money's worth with those ones tonight, boy. It was great. Um, Sadiq Youssef defeating, uh, actually real quickly, let me look at the uh, dashboard here. All right. So I'm going to go through the rest of the results, like the video, subscribe. Let's quickly go through these. And then I'm going to get to your questions. If you have donated in the super chat, let's take a look at it. Oh yeah. There's a shit done. Okay. So let me let me let me run through these uh, results, and then I will get to these questions. Uh, okay, Sadiq Youssef defeating Gabriel Benitez a KO at four fourteen of the first round. Got a little bit overconfident, taking a little bit too much punches, um, but in the end, that crisp counter punching from him is just phenomenal. I called one of his fights. He fought for a, a, a organization here in D.C. He's from D.C. and uh, it's called well, it was called Operation Octagon. Now it's called Cagezilla. I've done some, not the best name in the world, I've done some uh, commentary for them. I call it one of his amateur fights. He he blew the doors off some dude who had, you know, no business being in there with him. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's good. And then a few years later, he ends up in the UFC. That dude is on a rocket ship to the stars. And now you've got Usman, Adesanya, and Youssef. you got some other Nigerians in the UFC as well. But I would say those are the top three. I don't know if you could do a show in Nigeria. I don't know that the venues are equipped for it or if there's a market for it there. But And I'm not sure whether it's a huge Nigerian diaspora, but it would be cool to get those guys on the same kind of card. Uh, Derek Brunson, defying expectations, defeating Ian Heinish, 29-28 across the board. Uh, Heinish told me he was going to run through him like a freight train. And uh, didn't the problem was he came out strong, landed that head kick, and was in his face. But unlike Diaz, who knows exactly what to do when he's in your face, and yes, Cormier wasn't as effective, but you could at least say he was landing. Heinisch just didn't really know what to do there. It looked like to me like whatever the game plan was that they had stopped working, and he didn't have another gear to go to, so he lost. Uh, Kama Worthy defeating Devontae Smith, 415 in the first round. Phenomenal post-fight comments from Kama Worthy. Amazing. Uh, and, uh, by the way, another counter. I think it was a counter right over the top. Same kind of thing. Brilliant shot from him as well. So, welcome to the UFC, Kama Worthy. Great guy, it seems like. Corey Sandhagen, boy, defeating Rafael Sunsou, 30-27, then 29-28. Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to your newest bantamweight contender. Corey Sandhagen in his last two fights has no sold... I won't say no. Sold John Lineker, but pretty clearly beat him, and then just no. Sold Rafael Sunso. No one does that. Three people in the UFC have beaten him, uh, and I think at bantamweight. Now him, uh, Marlon Moraes, and T.J. Dillashaw. That's it. That's it. Um, a lot of fighters, what they want to end up doing is they like, um, they like to add so many weapons that they can't manage them all. And so they get kind of dull. Corey Sandhagen has a modern game where he's stance switching and he can jump to guard and knee bar and then flying knee and then, you know, L-step and then hit a punch on a dart. Like, he can just do all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yet he's attacking the whole time and he's technical the whole time. It's He's got that next-level game. Like, a lot of these guys who these next generation of fighters who just grew up as fighters rather than, like, black belts who then got good at MMA – Um, they're dull and they're boring because they're not really all that great at anything. He's very good at a lot of these things, and then the blend is effortless. Keep your eye on that guy. Uh, Jakar Close defeating Christos Giagos, Dude, Close is a tough bastard. Another one of these guys. They just stay on you, man. God, what a nightmare way to fight people. Uh, he wins 29 28 across the board. Casey Kenny defeats Benny Bermudez, same kind of thing. Hannah Cyphers defeats Jody Esquibel, 30 uh, 28, then two 30 27s. Uh, Kyung Ho Kang defeating Brandon Davis, he splits them up 29 28 for two, then one. Sabina Mazo, the Colombian queen from Medellin, Colombia, defeats Shanna Dobson at a DC, 30 24, 30 25, 30 25. The problem with Mazo and her UFC debut. She had two head kick KOs coming out of the LFA circuit. Then she gets in her UFC debut, and she just kind of olive oiled it where she's just like not putting a lot of physicality behind it. She got right in Dobson's face and put it on her. I thought that was pretty impressive. And then also, like you heard Dominic Cruz talking about how she would just relent to positions. If you roll against a black belt and they sweep you and then they're in side control, you're not going to spaz because if you spaz, they're just going to move to mount effortlessly. You kind of want to wait and see what they do. Um, because you know that they have a technical superiority over you in that position, depending obviously not unless you're a black belt as well, but the point being, let's assume that you're not. Um, It's kind of like that. It's like when you know your opponent is technically superior in his positions, you relent to them because fighting out of them is perilous and or worthless. Anyway, all right, let's go to the questions here if we can. appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, donate. You can put in as little, little as a dollar. Now, one more time for clarification's sake: when we bring back the live chat, when the channel gets 100k subscribers, all those questions will be free, gratis. I will not ask for a penny, nothing. Um, your 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 uh, support is enough for these ones. Post fight, uh, yes, they there is a charge. Okay, but you don't have to do it. You can just watch. I'm just saying. All right, that Indian dude said, I know you predicted Cormier and I watched it, but I decided to put money on steopic. I just thought a, a year to marinate his rage would tip it. Congrats. Jones versus Stipe. Hmm. Yeah, I think that, the intrigue in that fight definitely grew. I think the intrigue in that fight definitely grew. Uh, how much? I think at this juncture is hard to say, but yeah, that's the one. That's the one I think... Or a DC-Stipe trilogy fight, we'll have to see. But uh, for sure, whatever the level of interest was for Jones versus Stipe, it's now gone through the roof, for sure. Is Stipe now the heavyweight goat? for the, As far as the UFC is concerned, yes. For MMA generally, I think it's a much more difficult debate to have. But but even then, the answer might be yes. Like I'm not ruling that out. I'm simply saying it's a different conversation. But what I can tell you right now, because we're talking post-fight, like... I have to do morning combat on Monday. I might feel a little bit differently on Monday. But for right now, yes. I think that for the UFC, it's pretty clear that's what he is. Um, K Clips writes, Stipe ver- versus Jones or Nganu or-, or Francis too. DC is done, he says. DC might be. Stipe versus Jones or Francis. Well, if they don't do Francis versus Stipe, who might they do? Let's see. You've got Dos Santos out there, but he lost already. you got Blades, he lost, and then Derek and he lost. They might have to do that one. They might have to do that It really depends on Cormier. Because if Cormier comes back, I doubt that Dana denies him, but you never really know, right? Jake asks, Do you think the lightweight talent is superior hence... Welterweight wins. Well, they're pretty similar divisions in terms of the overall depth and breadth of talent. But I don't think there's... I had, I, there, there ain't a division in this world anywhere like lightweight. And it's not just true in UFC, although the UFC's division is especially good. But you have to remember, you can go to like bumfuck nowhere and pull up their lightweight division and you'll see bad dudes in there. that you can't really say that with virtually any other division in MMA. Lightweight is just consistently that sweet spot Of the very very best, and it's similar to what you get in boxing too, where you get like really tough guys from like one forty seven to one sixty ish, right? A little bit in that range, your Mayweather to to, 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 to your your your, uh, your welterweight to middleweight that for boxing is what that would be. Um. So yeah, so so it just seems to be like a sweet spot for combat sports. Does Diaz versus Masvidal headline a pay per view? I suspect that it might not, but that's a different question than whether it could or should like it easily could i'd argue depending on the card certainly it should i just don't know that it will i don't know if the ufc is going to look at it like that and say that's the kind of thing that we do maybe maybe um but if they put like an if they put like god what would they put on there in rotation you know if they put a middleweight fight on there or something i don't know that they would do that uh, you know a women's fight i mean i hate to be like I hate to put it in those terms, but. Uh, Get the producers out of your ear in morning combat, please. Not a thing I can do. Uh, Okay. Dirty Harry says, Luke, so happy to see this channel continue and yourself continue to grow. Thank you. Um, Like the things I say. Do you think now is the time for Stipe versus Jones? Yeah. It might be. Because like if you look at Jones, who's he gonna fight? You got Reyes versus Weidman coming up in October. I suppose you could do that, but the Cormier fight, no one wants to see that now. Santos is at two; he lost. Smith had to get surgery again on his hand, and then four is Reyes. So I guess if Reyes beats Weidman in October, and you could do a quick turnaround end of or middle of December, maybe. But otherwise, I don't think that works. If you want, if Jones wants another fight in 2019, I'm not sure that the timing on that works. So I don't think you could do that. Uh, This uh, this is from Kosein Keith writes, Diaz layoff looked like it slightly affected his cardio management, but overall game looked leveled up. I think that's exactly right. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly correct. He had a lot of new tools. I think he mismanaged the resources a little bit, but he had great tools. Uh, Again, this comes from Jordan White. What are the chances of a Jones versus Stipe heavyweight fight? Higher now than they have been. How do you think it would go down? This is my number one fight for the MMA gods. I wonder. You know, I think, I think Jones would pick him apart at range, probably, and then try to get the takedown and do ground a pound. Like, kind of keep it simple, really. Not much more complicated than that. Do you see at ten pounds lighter resulting in a power difference? I mean, that's that's like five percent of the weight. I don't think so. I don't think so. No way they do Jones versus DC3 now, Paul E.D. says. Yeah, there's no chance. I mean, who wants to see it, right? Like, did you see? Like, I, I was even thinking this in real time. I'm like, okay, let's say that Cormier ekes out a win here, right? Heading into the fourth round, let's, let's say I was right. I mean, I had it 2-1 DC or 3-0 DC. Let's say it was 3-0 DC heading into the fourth. He wins. Wins the fifth about the same. Even if he had won, even if he had won, Would you have looked at that and said to yourself, well, I need to see the Jones fight now because he just looked so amazing. I mean, you probably would have said you wanted to see the Jones fight just for intrigue and because it had so much inertia coming into this contest. But like, based on the way he looked, would you have said that? Probably not. Probably not. You probably would have looked at that fight and said, gosh, like DC, okay, he got it done because he's DC, and and, and that was a really um, concerted effort. But... Did he look spectacular? No. Why were Cormier's hands so low? Because he was getting punched in the fucking liver. Uh, Santino says, Is DC asking if he's losing between rounds a normal thing for him? Don't know if it's a normal thing for him. It's common with fighters. Fighters routinely ask, Am I losing? Did I lose? Did I win? Nothing unusual about that. I... Could be for DC, but I don't know if that's true. Is it true for fighters generally? Very, very true. Uh, I felt like as soon as I heard that something wasn't right with him. Could be. <laughs> uh, Steve Puente is voicing a void of support for um, DS versus Gamebred, making inside jokes about my radio show. That's an L. With Massadal Diaz, where does that leave Connor Punching old dudes in a bar. Who cares? Luke, the fights were great, and you're going to give your input on those regardless. What we want to hear is your take on the Epstein (laughs) suicide. Also, who gives a fuck? Jesus. You imagine people spending their lives worrying about some pedophile fuckhead killing himself in prison? Like, how am I going to sleep through the night? Um, that Indian dude says, regardless of the controversy, Paulo Costa put on a great fight. The only fighter I thought could get Romero out of there. But Romero is a soldier of God. Certainly so. Andrew Walker says, is clinch, kick checking, best at post fight. Um, uh, yeah. I told everybody, dude. I told you. Two phases he likes to fight. He likes to fight in the clinch. He likes to fight in boxing range. Oh, look, he doesn't check kicks. Yeah, he kind of does, actually. He didn't do that great of a job against McGregor. But, like, the other body of work pretty clearly showed that, like, it was a thing that, yes, people land on him. And they land on him a lot. But, like, you know, this idea that they could just do whatever they want that people were saying was just not true. The eye pokes in this card were numerous. You see a lot of this now. Especially because you had Diaz doing, excuse me, not Diaz. You had Diaz slapping. You had Cormier hand grabbing. And they had so much, like, back and forth in tight quarters between Costa and Romero. Yeah, you got a lot of nonsense. Uh, can we bring back the hashtag chat wrappers for the live chat? We'll, we'll get a new one. I'm gonna rename it. I have to rename it, so we'll give it one according to the new name. Aaron asks, "Will UFC figure out a way to fuck up Diaz versus Masvidal? They might. All of these, all of these dumb asses out there being like, <laughs> Jorge Masvidal needs to fight Leon Edwards. Why?" Why? And I told everybody, what, you think Lukey has to sit out a year? No, of course not. Sitting out a year is the worst choice imaginable. I'm not, I'm not recommending that. What I am saying, though, is there's turnover in the division all the time. Diaz fights, when this was the Edwards fight, in a week, I think after the Covington fight, he fights in a week, settle down. We'll get an answer here. So no, don't sit out a year, but if you don't have to take a fight with somebody where you don't benefit at all, don't. And I'm not saying it's a case where you can do that, like, for every person who's ranked, not taking a fight with somebody ranked below them, but if you're 16 years an OG in this game, and this is probably really your one and only shot in the your career to make some cash, fuck off with this nonsense that they should be fighting people that don't do media. Okay. Uh, was there ever an appetite for a third Jones-DC fight? I get DC is great, but we've seen John clean him up easily and then finish him. Is, this, is the desire for a third more from a love for DC than a legit feeling of potential competitiveness? Um, again, I think if DC had gone in there and really put it on Stepe, called him out, wrote the chapter like that, there would be. But the way he looked, even if he had won, I think it would have hurt it. And now that you lost, or now that he lost, I think a lot of people are really begun to question whether it was there. It was there to the extent he could make you believe it was there. But there wasn't a lot of that happening tonight, unfortunately. Stephanie asks, Thank you so much for keeping the adrenaline rush at the end of a card going. Best in the biz. Thanks for all you do, true fans. Well, thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate that. Ethan says, Long-term fan from, I think it's Glasgow. Americans say Glasgow, but I think it's Glasgow. Uh, Just wondering what you think would be a good matchup for Dominic Cruz's return. Also, thanks for the Patrice O'Neal Tolu recommendation. Um... Let's see. Who would be a good fight? Well, you could even say Corey Sandhagen, to be honest with you, depending on where he gets ranked. But I'll say... You could do Jimmy Rivera. You could do a Cody Garbrandt rematch. You could do Pedro Munoz, somewhere in there. You could do Rafael Sanzo. There's a bunch you could do. There's a lot you could do. You could do... God, could you do Faber again? I mean, I suppose you could, but... Uh, I thought Stipe's brain was toast, person says. Oops. Uh, someone says there's 18 times more people here than the MMA fighting chat. Yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Brendan says, refs, good job with the stoppages tonight. Nice to see. I thought so too. Agreed. Hayden says, appreciate all the content. Please get Dana Segura involved with Showtime. Either way, money for the diapers. Thank you, Hayden. Is Ben Askren awake yet, someone says. Uh, Is Nate Diaz the most dangerous stoner on earth? Ooh. God, who would be a more dangerous stoner than him or his brother? Is there like some... Is there like some... uh, Like, bandit? I don't know. What the fuck is the word? Like, I'm 40. I'm using the word bandit. Like, I don't know. Is there somebody out there that's like real crazy and known as a stoner? That I'm not aware of? um ak baker says thanks for all you do douglas says who would win in a street fight me or Ari Holwani? i mean come on y'all i beat the fuck out of the mma media altogether by myself have you seen these people felipe rio says you may or may not have already answered this but how do you score the romero costa fight round by round again i think uh one costa yeah one costa two costa three romero for me that's, that's how I got it. But again, round two, dicey. Dicey. Uh, Yoel got robbed again a second time. He's 42. Give him a goddamn break. I blame him partly for not wrestling more in the last two rounds. So let's talk about the wrestling of Yoel Romero. People are like, why doesn't he wrestle more? There's a very clear uh, reason why he doesn't wrestle more. The good news about Romero's wrestling is that when he gets someone flat on their back, his ground and pound is phenomenal. Look at what he did, for example, to Lyoto Machida. The problem with his wrestling, if you actually look at his takedown efficiency, it's very low. It's sub-40%. You would be like, wow, for someone with wrestling credentials like that, how is his takedown um, success rate that low? Because his control at the bottom is, is garbage. His That's not garbage. I'm overstating it. But his, his takedowns themselves are obviously very good. But the control at the bottom to keep them there is not. It's very loose. So... A lot of times they don't fully count or they count, but the people get up. They did not get a lot, of, to, a, lot, a lot out of it. And then he ends up being really tired. So what would be the value there in doing that? that that's the idea. That's the idea with that kind of a thing. So um, I don't know that I blame him all that much. Maybe he could have done a little bit more in close quarters, like he hit that inside trip at the last minute. Maybe he could have done a little bit more than that. But again, his control at the bottom, he's good. For getting the two points in a wrestling mat. He's not that good in MMA for holding them there. Uh, let's see. More people talking about the uh, eye-poking. It's Not that, Not nearly as big a deal as some people make it. How would you rate as an all-time comeback in a championship fight? Tate versus Holm. That happened at the end of the fifth, so that'd be better. So, Hudo versus Marais through the third. Um... Yeah, it's up there with Cejudo Morais. That's up there. Now, Cejudo was the guy coming up the weight class, so the roles are a little bit, a little bit reversed. But yeah, it's up. It, it's a, it's a phenomenal performance from Steve Amiocic. It's a phenomenal performance. Uh, I think this card leaves us with one very important question: Just how good is Conor McGregor? That's the last question I'm thinking about. Blocked leg kicks, legit concern for the kicker. Okay. Do you think one day a boy will be born who is faster than a shark? No. There you go. Uh, do you think... Uh, let's see. Congrats on the baby. Thank you. Where do you think Jack Hermanson realistically lines up at middleweight? How would you feel about a Hermanson-Costa fight? Um, if he could get Costa down and do some work, that could be interesting. On the feet, though, I think he'd get probably tuned up, but it's interesting. I just feel like Costa's going to get your next title shot after these two guys. So, How do you feel about Super Sadiq? Looked to be quite shining brides of prospect. Yeah, he looks phenomenal. I think he, if, he's not, if he's not ranked at featherweight, no, he's not. He should be. He should be after this. He looked very good, or close to it. Give him Beckdich, you know, Ryan Hall, all-DC fight, kind of interesting. Uh, Let's see, Gastelum versus Costa next. I think Gastelum is supposed to be... Where did I see this? Gastelum is fighting Till? Did I see that? Are you ever going on Rogan? That's not a question for me to answer. Like, you don't just hit up Joe and be like, Joe, put me on your show, and then he listens to you. He has to invite you. So, ask him. Thoughts on a Covington-Diaz matchup? At first, I thought I might have wanted that. But relative to how I, I mean, the more I think about like him versus Masvidal, the less I think that's a fight I want to see. Yeah, I don't know how much I like that one. I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it if they did it, but there are better choices. Is the Costa blueprint now clear for future foes? Of Romero? No. Who can replicate that? Did the chances of the Diaz-McGregor trilogy just go up or down after tonight? Way up. Way up. Super way up. All the way up. All right, what did I miss? Eh, not, not a whole lot. Um, okay, as I mentioned, we get to 100K, diggity donks. We bring back the uh, live chat. And um, yeah, please like the video, subscribe to the channel. I was trying to think of something else I missed. What's the next UFC event? Oh, it is on the 31st, and it's the uh, fight in China. Yeah, I will not be doing one of these for that. So that should be kind of fun. All right. Um, All my contact information is below. Subscribe, like the vid. Thanks to everyone who donated. Appreciate you all. Until next time, get some sleep.